All right, we are here with Francois. Francois is a graduate from the University of Toronto with a, a double major in computer science and cognitive science, as well as a minor in Italian. It's very interesting. And uh, you also have a master's of entrepreneurship from uh, University of Cambridge. Uh, so that is extremely cool. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Francois. It's really nice to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So for those who don't know, uh, if you want to give a brief introduction, I know I said it, but if you want to give a brief introduction of yourself as well. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, yeah, you said it perfectly on the academic side, graduated from U of T, then uh, did a master's at Cambridge. Uh, and while doing a master's at Cambridge, I started a company called Enzo Connect. And so I'm one of the co-founders, uh, with my co-founder being uh, Peter Sorbo. He's a dropout of machine intelligence, engineering science at University of Toronto. Uh, and we started this company together and effectively building the future of digital hospitality uh, for short-term rental industry, boutique hotels, really anything that involves the travel uh, space. So building the first full end-to-end -end guest experience platform for digital hospitality. Future of hospitality. Okay, that's interesting. I do want to get into that. What I want to know is, did you always have a, an entrepreneurial background or is this your first venture? How did that work? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say I definitely always had a bit of an entrepreneurial background, even as a kid. Uh, my first business, quote unquote, was selling snowballs to my classmates because I had a perfect snowball machine that could make these perfect round snowballs. Uh, business got acquired by the principal in exchange for no detention. Uh, so it was, a, I would say, a successful uh, venture, although not VC backed, but uh, and uh, fully bootstrapped. And uh, no, and then, you know, I, throughout my undergrad, I already dabbled into a few different projects. I built a, through a hackathon, we'd won the Microsoft award for uh, a project called um, Simply, what was it called again? Uh, something about law, in case, in case. And it was essentially uh, a remote sort of chatbot for um, traffic law. So if you have any questions, people were always saying, I know my rights, I know my rights, but nobody knows their rights. Uh, and so the idea was to be able to speak to your phone and for it to answer uh, questions about traffic law if you got pulled over. Uh, we built a little something like that. Then we had, uh, I tried another one, which was more e-commerce and it was bringing in artists from around the world and placing their products on merchandise and using sort of Shopify as, as the background for that. So I've always dabbled in, in different entrepreneurial routes. I would say Enzo Connect is one of those that just kind of stuck with me because it followed a lot of my passions, whether it be travel, technology, uh, and really automation around smart home devices, which I'd been playing around with since since 2014, 2013, when mm -hmm. smart home was still a thing of the future, but no one had Alexas yet in their home, and now we all do. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a lot of talk about that uh, back in 2013. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Enzo was going to see a lot of success if the co-founder was able to successfully sell snowballs to yeah. his classmates, right? That's, that's an interesting story. And, and would you say you're, you're like more of a technical person or would your co-founder be the technical person of Enzo? We both have technical backgrounds, but long shot, my co-founder is, is the technical co-founder here. I mean, he's the one really leading the product side of things, development, uh, architecture, and so on. I'm, I'm much more on a business role at this stage, but definitely helps to have a, a technical background because I have I, I can review deadlines a bit better when someone tells me this is going to take two weeks to do 
And I'm like, no, I think we can do it in a week. Uh, it's, yeah, it's after hard. giving themselves buffer time, you're like, come on, we can uh, <laughs> a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. So, so what do you think are some of the common misconceptions when it comes to starting a business? And I'll provide some context, especially like a business like Enzo. Uh, would you say that the co-founders or the founders of a particular technological company need to be technically a debt in order to, you know, launch that startup? I think it depends on the business. Uh, there's a lot of really, there's more and more businesses I see that are using already existing kind of technology and white labeling, packaging it into a system that works. Um, the example I like to give is like CRMs, because I've noticed a bit of a pattern with that and, you know, ourselves included, where people are white labeling CRMs, but to make it industry specific and then grow from there in different verticals. I think having a technical background is not a necessity but it definitely helps with building a technical company because you get to understand not just the high level business partnerships that you're building or, you know, sales models and venture capital relationships, whatever that might be. You also understand fundamentally the, the problems, the QA issues you might be facing uh, later down the road, the costs of using certain pieces of technology and how they play together. So it, it's a balance. I think you don't have to be a coder but understanding how technology works enough to know that when one of your developer is facing a problem, it's because of X partnership or X API or your own code is, is definitely helpful. And it helps you, I'd say, scale faster how you build technology. Hmm. And, and in, this, in this journey of yours in building Enzo, what was or what were some of the challenge or challenges that you guys faced? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many. And we still are facing so many challenges. I mean, building a startup is not, uh, you see a lot of success stories of startups, you know, going public and making it to the unicorn level and so on. Um, but it's really, a, it's a journey. I would say, you know, some of the challenges that we faced, the very first challenge that we faced was connecting to Airbnb. So we built a proof of concept out of a classroom. The whole Enzo Connect, the company came, came out of a, a specific classroom called the Department of Computer Science Innovation Lab at the University of Toronto. And, uh, and I can dive into that story for, for a bit, but um, we, when we decided to roll with this, we decided to connect to Airbnb accounts. We needed to pull reservation information, guest information, booking information to run automation. And the first challenge that we faced was there is no public Airbnb API out there. It's a private API and you have to request partnership and so on. Now, we were definitely not at scale at all to go to Airbnb and ask for a meeting. I don't even think I knew anyone who worked at Airbnb. So it was very difficult. And we found a public API token on some Reddit form and we decided to run with it and it was working. And so we ran with it and we brought on a few listings and we tested it like we did 10,000 iterations to make sure it could work at scale in case we would blow up. And instead, we ended up blowing up the software and blocking that API token. So that was challenge number one was we just couldn't connect to Airbnb. So chicken and egg problem. I had to go to Airbnb, speak with them, see if we could partner. And it was a very, let's say, interesting conversation. Uh, so, but overall- So right there, uh, Francois, I do want to kind of dive into yeah, this. Yeah. What is an API token for, for those who are listening? Yeah, so it's essentially like a, a digital key. Think of it as like a key that opens a door. And um, you need that door is all of the information that's coming from a particular account. So if you think about it as- Airbnb, I log into my Airbnb account, I see my, my name, my account, my password, my reservations, et cetera. 
I'm coming in as a third-party system, Enzo Connect, and requesting a, a special key to say, this account has given me their key to collect that information and do I something see. with it. Okay. And um, so we needed uh, an, an API key to access user accounts. Um, so so there are, you have that API token, you would have access to a particular database because you're interested in that information. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And the frustrating part of it was the fact that these owners, these property managers were willing to connect their account. I mean, they wanted to use Enzo Connect, so you'd expect them to just hand over the keys. Mm. Um, but some systems don't necessarily have public APIs. And for whatever that reason may be, business reasons, um, you know, technical reasons and so on, or even IP reasons. And so, you know, we've had to find workarounds and learn from the industry to get what we need to get. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And I, I know you mentioned, oh, that's a long story, the, the class of, I think you said innovation. So what's what's the story around that? Oh, um, it's a story I always explain to, to people because it's essentially how we got started with Enzo Connect. But effectively, we um, it was a class project. So the Department of Computer Science Innovation Lab picked 20 students from the computer science department. And so I was, I was chosen for this course and we had to come up with a solution to an entrepreneurial problem and it had to be robotics focused but I absolutely hate robotics. So I went up to my prof and I said, can I do smart home devices instead? Because I really, I already had a bunch of smart home devices. It was a bit of hardware and kind of play the robotics card still on it. And he reluctantly said, yes, but he said, you're probably not going to win the $10,000 cash prize at the end of the course. And when I heard that there was 10 grand to win at the end of a university undergrad course, you can imagine that that was pretty much my only focus for that semester. I don't think my Italian teachers ever saw me. Um, and so with that, uh, my, what happened was within the first week, week and a half, we were learning a lot about entrepreneurship, setting up a business. What are the requirements? How do you, you know, how do you solve a problem and why you start with a problem, not a solution? Um, because we were all coming up with ideas and solutions, but none of us were really solving any problems. And that first weekend, my best friend calls me up and he usually calls me up for three things to go for food, to travel, or to go for food and travel. Uh, he okay. calls me up and he goes, Francois, you're French. You don't know how to ski. You're trying to become Canadian. Uh, you should probably learn how to ski. Let's go to Mont-Tremblant on a ski trip. So this time I reluctantly said yes. And we got in the car. We're driving to uh, Mont-Tremblant and we book an Airbnb on the way. Super easy. Uh, instant book, you know, automatically get a message that says keys under the doormat. Have a nice day. And when we get to the Airbnb, keys frozen under the doormat. Once we get in, the heating system is per room, and we only figured that out at the end of the stay. We're asking questions about, you know, classic millennial questions. How do you get pizza delivered in the middle of nowhere at 11 p.m.? Like, things like that. We're not getting any answers. And five days after checkout, I got a text message from that host that said we left one of the windows open and the kitchen pipes froze. Hmm. And so that's kind of what started Enzo Connect was, well, I'm going to do something in the smart home space. Why don't I try to create a system that would help the short-term rental operators. Like, why don't they have smart locks so I can just show up, put a keypad number, unlock the door and voila. Why don't they have smart eating systems where I don't have to figure out the 1990s version of, you know, pulling little threads on some thermostat or whatever it might be. And it kind of sparked that idea of creating digital hospitality, if you will. So, so essentially the problem that you guys faced and the challenge that you had on that trip in Mont-Tremblant was one of the catalysts in you know creating Enzo. When, if I understand correctly, you would be the 
middleman between the house owners and the guests in order to, in order for your system to facilitate that experience for the guests and take the burden of worry or responsibility off the shoulder of the owners. That's correct. And and the way we're positioned, so we work, there's, there've been a few changes. When we first started, we started off trying to build a property management software. And uh, when the pandemic hit, we lost half of our listings and we realized that we were trying to compete with, you know, large existing property management softwares that had been in the space for, for years. And so we decided to focus on what we do best. And that's exactly it is being that middleman, the platform play of guest experiences that works with property management softwares uh, to effectively delight guests, not just when they check in, but from the moment they ask a question and they're asking about the listing and, you know, they're, they're thinking about their trip, they're dreaming about that vacation to the moment they check out and they're happy. Um, and so our system heavily focuses on communication as, as sort of the pillar for interacting with guests. And then we combine so many different systems uh, to create digital hospitality. And so would you say a condo or let's say a cabin in the middle of the woods, if they don't already have smart systems within their houses, would Enzo be able to add value to those places as well? Absolutely. We work right now with about 13,000 listings in 23 different countries. And that is what we do. Uh, now we're, we don't install the smart locks. We don't do any of that stuff, but we connect with the tools that you have. The advantage that we have is the pandemic has been a catalyst towards operators realizing that they need to implement technology on the guest experience side of things, because mm -hmm. well, guests don't want to meet with you in person anymore. And you still want to maintain some amount of control and know that there's parties going on. And, you know, also just the, the guest mindset has shifted where now you have hotel travelers that are booking short-term rentals. And so they expect the same level or quality of experiences that they get in hotels, but in their short-term rentals, especially when they see that the prices are the same. I mean, paying $250 a night for an Airbnb or paying $250, nights for, $250 for, for a hotel is effectively the same. And yet the guest experience is completely different. And so we've seen a shift in what I call the professionalization of this industry, where it goes from hustlers on Airbnb trying to make a bit of money quick, fast, and easy to now vacation rental managers, professional businesses that have a brand that are trying to become a hospitality brand in the industry. And it's been fueled by you know the recent IPOs, Vacasa, Sonder, and so on, which are effectively property management companies in the short-term rental space. Mm. So this whole professionalization of the industry is making people realize that they need to reduce their operational costs to light guests through more automated or, or, or better guest experience. And technology is a fundamental play in that. Yeah, it seems like the main or the centerpiece of all of this is really the guests and how we can provide the highest level of experience for them during their stay. Absolutely. And it's not just about providing quality stay. It's also about understanding the monetization piece around uh, from a business standpoint, obviously, um, around what that guest value is. And what I mean by that is the guest is a source of revenue for these operators. And so seeing them more as customers rather than guests can sometimes help. And, you know, a guest spends less than 20% of their entire vacation budget on their stay, 25, 30. I mean, it really depends on, on the people. Yeah. Um, being able to run your business in a smooth way so that you can tap into that remaining 70, 75, 80% is what will differentiate hospitality providers from the hustlers on Airbnb. 
So we work with professional managers uh, for that reason um, because, well, they we add a lot of value to their business. Yeah, and, and it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is over time, this is going to get easier for Enzo from a technological standpoint because with the introduction of 5G technology and you know the internet of things where everything is kind of becoming more and more connected to uh, the internet, basically becoming smart, Enzo would be able to connect more systems within the house together, basically a fully integrated house where everything communicates with each other. Absolutely. I mean, we're, our focus is, is heavily on communication more so than smart home devices. We learned quickly that like smart lamps and and you know shades and, and things like that aren't a priority at this stage. And so mm-hmm. it's more backlog items that would be nice to have. But you're right that the, you know, the 5G component or in general, just how technology is playing um, is becoming more robust, more interconnected. And we're seeing it with, you know, the, the players that we work with, the different partners that we've, the partnerships we've built are essentially, you know, as a platform play, we can't do everything ourselves. And so we need to be able to leverage the expertise of other systems, whether it's guest verification or ID verification, insurance providers, smart lock companies, we can't build it all. Um, so I would say the big mover for us, other than the pandemic and, and the idea of digitalizing hospitality is the interconnectedness of systems. You know, APIs are becoming way more clean, easy to use. Um, compare a legacy system from a 2018 plus company mm-hmm. and their cloud infrastructure, serverless infrastructure, whatever it might be. It's so easy to work with. You know, give us a couple of days, a couple of developers, and boom, we're connected to a new system that provides additional value to our users. Um, so, yeah, there's some tailwinds for sure. <laughs> interesting, interesting. And would you say something like blockchain technology at some point would be another area through which you leverage some of your services? I'm not sure there's a direct relation with what we're doing in the short term with blockchain, or if I were to look at, you know, today's hype world of crypto and NFTs and all that, I think, I mean, there definitely are some synergies or connections that can be made. Um, But the problem that we're solving is, is, is simple. It's the fragmentation of tools that people have to use in the industry. And that doesn't require any blockchain. It'd be a layer of complexity for uh, nothing. In my opinion, we have explored, you know, opportunities in, the, the, how would you say this, the, the guest fidelity component, aka loyalty systems and, and things like that, of which it can be very interesting to look at blockchain. Uh, we do have partners on the guest verification side of things with regards to signing agreements, you know, saying that you're not going to leave the window open, yeah. uh, get those pipes frozen. That, you know, the concept of smart contracts is absolutely fascinating. Um, but overall, we are staying a bit distant and staying to what we know best. And also because I know that those can be used as buzzwords for a lot of companies to, you know, raise money and, and things like that. And I think we're, we're staying true to the value that we're providing to, to guests, owners, property managers. Yeah, um, for sure. They're all definitely buzzwords, you know, AI, machine learning, crypto, yeah. internet of things, all that being thrown around. We uh, do fit in a few of those buzzwords, I'll tell you that. But we, we fit really, like it's not, it's not BS, you know, it's like we're yeah. actually using AI, like we use for a chatbot, it's it's some of the latest techs out there. Uh, we commercialized um, a research paper for our sentiment analysis, and we're probably the first ones to commercialize it in the hospitality space. 
So there's definitely some of those buzzwords that are being applied uh, in reality in, in our industry, but some of them can remain as buzzwords for now for us, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know computer science and you know entrepreneurship and coding and technical skills, they've been something that maybe you've been comfortable with because you've been kind of doing that for some time, but how's the overall experience of running a company for someone who's, you know, uh, young, they're maybe not as experienced as someone who's been running a business for like 20, 25 years, uh, leading people, managing people. How's, how's it on that end? Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's a learning experience. I'm going through this. It's really my first serious business of, you know, building a team of, well, me and my co-founder to 14 people, which isn't that much, but it, it, you know, when you look back, you're like, wow, it's a lot of people to, to manage yeah. and, and deal with. Um, I think it's, it's all a learning experience. And the advantage that I've had is we've been surrounded by some of the best people out there, whether it's our advisors, our investors, our partners, our customers, et cetera. It's really not a solo founder journey. It's not just a co-founder journey. It's a, it's a teamwork. And, um, and so there's a lot of things that, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do uh, expectations in the business world that I didn't even realize. Like we would work on an API connected, get it all done. And then we'd realize, oh, wait, we need that API token. And we'd reach out to the company. Like now we kind of do the opposite where we reach out to the company, do the business development and then get the API token. Yeah. All things. Um, but it's, you know, if I were to take back, if I were to go back over the past two years of, of what we've done from proof of concept for a year to beta 12 months ago, I think I could rebuild Enzo Connect in six months, you know, and, and go through all the learnings that we have in, in less than six months and, mm. and so on. But it's also about that journey. All of those learning steps unlocked new opportunities for us, uh, new learnings of how this industry works, how people operate. Um, so yes, I, I definitely do lack experience, whether it be in my industry or in building businesses, being young and being an early stage founder. Um, but I think you know our, our way of doing things and our culture in the company is really set towards being open, solving problems purely with logic and, and no ego or emotion. Um, and just knowing what that North star is where everyone's agreeing that future of hospitality should be X. And now it's just figuring out what that path is. And sometimes mm -hmm. you end up at a dead end and you have to turn back and go the next route and figure it out until you get to that, uh, to that dead end. It's like a journey, you know, you know, those games where like you have to find the path from A to X and yeah. you go through, you realize, ah, oh, shit, that wasn't the right path. And you try again. That's how entrepreneurship feels. And once you get to that final piece, you realize like, oh, that was easy. I should have figured this out. Like it was this line that I should yeah, have every, Everything is easy in hindsight for sure. Hindsight, exactly. Yeah. But um, so, you know, you set many objectives every quarter, every month, and you figure that path out with the objective of knowing that those smaller objectives get you to the end result. Uh, yeah, the main, the main and the most important thing is to have skin in the game and when you do have skin in the game, you're, you know, getting hurt sometimes, you know, learning, growing and moving forward. And that's just how it is. I mean, you can't necessarily know everything about an industry without having skin in the game for sure. hundred percent. I think that's one thing that uh, fuels this company is the passion we have for the space that we're in and solving mm -hmm. the problem. And yes, there's competitors and yes, there's, you know, customers that might not be interested or customers that are, absolutely moving a completely direction than what you expected, but you go through this process of learning and through the learnings you iterate and then you adapt and you move forward. You know, when, when the pandemic hit, 
we had 52,000 Canadian dollars in our account from an investor. We had every other investor back out in the matter of a day. Trump announced that he was closing borders. And that same day, I remember it was until four in the morning, I was on the phone. Everyone was saying, yeah, I'm not going to invest in a travel company right now. I'm mm-hmm. not going to. And those moments feel like it's the end of the world. And here we are now. You know, it's we spent time going back, learning, figuring out what was new, what changed. And those those brick walls will keep happening. But as long as you have that tenacity and that passion to solve a problem and solve that next challenge that you're facing, I think. Yeah, I mean, my 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 mantra is every problem has a solution. I say this in such a toxic way because I will say it for everything. Every problem has a solution. Like if I'm faced with an issue, it could be as simple as, you know, I can't find, I can't find my phone. <laughs> Every problem has a solution. Take a step back. You know, like it's something as menial as that, but uh, yeah. That's normal. That's, that's a good, that's a good mindset for sure. You know, uh, especially when some people just like to complain, you know, so yeah. you definitely want to just sit down and constantly listen or feel pity. You're like, listen, man, this is a solution. Just go for it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I am also curious to know, because you talked about passion. I wanted to know, did you guys always have passion for this space or you started started learning about this space, getting better at it, knowing it, being acquainted with it, and then developing that passion? Which, which one was it? It's a bit of both. I mean, travel is a generic topic. I know people put this in their Tinder bios, if anything, like I love to travel and it sounds a bit kitsch, but um, I do love to travel. And one of the reasons I love traveling is because it makes you feel like a child again where everything's new. When you go to a new country, a new city, a new continent, um, it, it's so different how people do things, how they eat, how they talk, how they sure. their business, whatever it might be. And I, I was always passionate, I would say, about learning those new cultures and those experiences. And, you know, they make for great dinner stories and podcasts, if anything. But um, so there was always an interest for the topic of travel and the idea of being able to work in that industry was even was fueling um, the, the, the eagerness to, to, to work through these different challenges. Uh, but I would say the passion for the vacation rental space <clears throat> was like further developed by working in it, because once you dive into the space and you understand the fragmentation and the complexity of tools and how operators think the problems that they face the generational shift in uh, property managers where, you know, yes, for the past 20 years, it's been 60, 70 year old men and women running a second home as a vacation rental. And now they're passing it on to their kids who are looking at them. Like I have to send carrier pigeons to my guests to get them to check in. What is this? You know, th- this, this whole shift and, and how it's moving so quickly is just like a, uh, a vicious circle that's fueling that passion even more, if anything. <laughs> um, so a bit of both. You know, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Now, out of the out of the technical kind of questions and about Enzo in general, I wanted to ask you uh, if you were to put a message on a billboard, and that billboard is just like on a big highway, and everyone can see it. What would you write on that billboard? Every problem has a solution. That that is what I would write, and it, it goes in for life. Like when you're feeling down because. You know, you can't get through this, whether it's, you know, work, relationships, whatever it might be, every problem has a solution. And um, sometimes that solution is taking a step back mm-hmm. and trying to look, you know, what, what, what I, in my cognitive science degree, one of the topics that I was very passionate about with regards to, to 
you know, every problem has a solution was uh, problem solving and problem solving, which is the root fundamental roots of, of computer science. If you will, people think computer science is just coding. It's really what it is, is problem solving. Um, the intersection of cognitive science in that topic was essentially describing how um, the problem formulation is the first step in problem solving, meaning understanding what the problem is. And I mean that like, not just as a high level, well, the problem is it takes time to manage a rental. Well, what takes time? Why does it take time? Hmm. You know, going through in depth what it is like to run this business that has this problem, whether it's the short-term rental industry or, or any other industry. And that's kind of the first step. And that moment, I put it in a very quantifiable way when I say every problem has a solution. But the qualitative aspect of it, the emotional component of it is it, it lets you take a step back. And that step back lets you understand where you are right now and how you can better whatever you need to better. So my billboard topic would be every problem has a solution to be applied as something that's not just as a business topic, but really anything in life. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's almost like if you look at a value stream map, the upstream process is identifying what the problem is and then you go downstream which is like you know figuring okay. out a solution it's like the more time you spend perfecting your understanding and your framing of what the problem is things may potentially get easier down the road for you absolutely i, I couldn't agree more with that and it's you know i see it even with our our existing customers where the problem we thought we were solving before is actually not the problem that we're solving now for them and sometimes it's the most minor thing and that opens a whole new product line. So I'll give you an example. Um, we built a CRM. So our platform is based on three verticals, guest experience. The whole thing is guest experience platform, but it's based on communication an experience marketplace and a fairly new system called the remarketing tool. And all of them use the same messaging components, but you know, messaging is a unified inbox experience system is about smart locks and verification systems and so on. And the remarketing is, a messaging tool for remarketing to your guests. And we went to the, to the industry and we, you know, reached out to people and we said, Hey, we have the CRM and we wanted to see what your thoughts are. There was a brand new product in October. Um, and we had a fantastic response from a user uh, that came back to us and said, I had to Google. So we send personalized uh, cold emails with like videos and everything. So he was really happy that we didn't just send him a generic email that was like, Hey, buy my software. Uh, but he was like, other than that, I got to be honest with you guys, I had no idea what a CRM was. And so I had to Google it and thank you so much, but I'm already using MailChimp. And so my thought was like, okay, there's two problems with this. One, he had no idea what a CRM was. Two, he thinks MailChimp is a CRM. Hmm. So we're doing something wrong. We're not explaining what we're doing accurately in this piece of the product. And so we went back and we went back. And what we realized was the real value wasn't the idea of remarketing to customers. The real value was collecting the emails of their customers in the first place. And so recently we launched a system called the boarding pass, which is a very simple tool. It's free and it allows hosts, property managers to um, create a seamless check-in process, step-by-step, picture-by-picture. The upsell component for us is around smart locks and all that, you know, different jazz, but the value that people are seeing from it, we're seeing signups over the past 10 days is you're collecting guest emails. And so while we were focused on building a CRM, which evidently still has value because it ties collecting emails to now being able to remarket to them. Um, the, the real problem that we needed to solve first was collecting those emails in the first place. Yeah. So you took, you took um, a step back and you realized that, you know, the way you were framing and approaching this wasn't necessarily giving you the most optimal result. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. 
And we're doing that again and again. Everything is iteration, testing, going back. And yeah, that's what I it's, love about it. spirals, you know, but hopefully the spiral is going up, not down, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I also was curious to know if you were to give a book to a loved one as a gift, what book would you give them? Yeah, so I, I received this from a loved one from my sister. Uh, it's The Lean Startup. Uh, famous book, obviously kind of a, a staple for entrepreneurship. But the reason there's a personal anecdote towards why I love this book, which is so in 2018, before I got the company, before I started Enzo, I got a, an Enzo tattoo on, on my arm. And what an Enzo is, it's a circle that's drawn in one unhibited brushstroke. So you take a brushstroke, a, a paintbrush, and you draw a circle and you don't connect it. And that Enzo, it's a Japanese symbol of Zen that's supposed to represent the moment you feel how you feel in that moment, wherever you are in the world. And so, so it's a, so it's a circle that is not connected. There's a small gap, right? Exactly. Just take a paintbrush, draw a circle and don't connect it. And then that's it. That is your Enzo. And it is a fixed visualization or representation of how you are, who you are, how you feel, what you are in that moment. It's a fairly interesting kind of Buddhist Zen, you know, approach to, to, to life, if you will, of, you know, not just writing things out, but drawing something. And um, in that same year, other than my parents being mortified that I had gotten a tattoo, my sister, I, I, I look at the Christmas present and I see through the, the Christmas wrapping an Enzo. And I'm like, oh shit, like, that, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. No, you're but, good, you're good. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? This must be such a joke or something. And I opened it up and it was the book, The Lean Startup. My sister knew that I was starting this course in entrepreneurship and, you know, I was passionate about building startups. And I knew that, if I wasn't going to go out and get a software engineering job, I was going to build something. And, uh, and so it was just such a coincidence to see an Enzo on it. And that's how I named the company Enzo Connect. Now we, we named it Enzo Connect and not just Enzo because there's a lot of Zen massage parlors out there called Enzo. And so we can incorporate <laughs> under the name Enzo, but uh, Enzo Connect makes 10 times more sense if anything, because, well, we connect different pieces of the puzzle together. So. Yeah. interesting this this whole concept of enzo is is really interesting i mean i i love the japanese culture because they have a word for for everything yeah and another one that i really like and you you already know it probably is ikigai right which is your reason to be right yeah. so it's like the intersection of let's say what you're good at uh what you love doing what you can get paid for and what the world needs so the intersection of all of these four circles would be right smack in the middle. That's your ikigai, right? So, uh, so Enzo is my ikigai. That's it. <laughs> ikigai. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. Now, I have one last question before I let you go, Francois. Um, yeah. If you were to buy a gift for someone under $100, uh, what would you buy them? That's an interesting question. Under $100? buy them a gift and who is that person is there any clarification on on that no no let, let, let's say it's just a friend or like a family member not necessarily like your girlfriend or your wife yeah yeah, yeah. um something meaningful something personal and meaningful i don't know like i i, I guess it would be very tailored to that person okay uh, i wouldn't be able to respond saying i would buy them a book or i'd buy them a tv or whatever it might be it would be more than a hundred dollars um but i would I, I, I like it when people give gifts that have no financial significance, but have complete personal significance, especially mm-hmm. hidden messages or whatever it might be. Um, the, so I, I would do something that's personalized 
and, and remove that price tag, whether it's $10, $50 or $100, uh, just something that would be meaningful and also kind of useful. I'm trying to think of like, you know, my buddy Ben or uh, Sasha or someone on my team, whatever, what I would get them. But yeah, I don't have a clear answer for that one. I'll be oh, honest. That, that's fair though. <laughs> I, I get it. It's more like the monetary value is of less significance than the sentimental value of it. Absolutely. Especially if it's a right. gift. Yeah. For sure. Uh, all right, man. Uh, I think that is it from my side. If you have anything else you want to talk about, then uh, please feel free. But if not, I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And uh, I'm excited to see what, what Enzo is going to create in the future. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much for, for having me on the podcast. I've been listening to them uh, quite a few so far. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be uh, featured on one. Of course, man. Always. Thank you very much. Thank you.